Welcome back, everyone, to episode five of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I want to welcome you to today's show. I want to remind you guys to follow the socials for the podcast at TBOTBPod. Visit our website, TBOTBPod.com. There you can find a number of different things. Number one, the list of guests that we had on the show. There is a page where you can fill out a form to try and come on the show. Whatever it may be, it's there as a resource for you guys. I want you all to be able to go there to have a place where you can interact with the show on a different level. But I also want to remind everyone that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, before we get into today's show, what the topic is going to be, this is one that's not taught in school. I reiterate almost every show how this is about the shit that we're not taught in school, but is essential in life. So the focus of this episode will be residential real estate. My guests and I will be discussing all sorts of things so you can understand how the process of buying a home, what to look for when buying a home, any tips, advice that he has for you. So let's hop right into this. On today's show, we have Chase Rogers, a real estate agent in the Metro Detroit area. Chase is the best of the best. So we want him to have a warm welcome on the show. So welcome, Chase, to the best of the best Maverick's Guide to Success. Thanks, Maverick. I appreciate the uh, warm introduction. Yeah, no problem. You know, it's it's going to be a great show and it's going to be one of those that people don't know about. So you really are going to be such an asset for the listeners of this show. So like I said, our focus is on residential real estate. But before we get into that, I want to start with your background. Where did you grow up? Uh, sure. So I grew up in Bloomfield Hills, um, end up living in Franklin for the most part. Uh, I went to do uh, Andover, and then the University of Michigan. So I've been a Michigan native for quite some time. Really uh, proud of it, getting behind Detroit now. But yeah, that's where I reside. And he, he's coming after the city hard. That's why we have him on the show. He really sees the future of what is to come for Michigan as a whole in terms of real estate, especially downtown Detroit. He's been a leader um, all around. And you know how much I emphasize being a leader is important. You said you went to the University of Michigan. What did you study there? So I studied uh, kinesiology. Uh, my minor was sports marketing major. Um, a lot of that was group presentations and just really marketing, really branding. And it really helped intertwine for what I do today. Yeah. Now your marketing, which we'll get into a little bit later, is amazing, which is a major aspect of why I wanted to have you on the show as well is because you are being a leader both in your industry, but also in the marketing that you're doing to target your, um, let's call it potential buyers for the homes that either you are selling or that someone else is selling or that someone else is going to buy. You really know how to target that audience. So when did you get into the real estate industry? So uh, my family's always had a real estate background. Uh, my grandpa has done multifamily. My dad does industrial. And, you know, I didn't want to go into my exact family business. I want to create my own name for myself. So I ended up doing residential. With that said, coming out of college, I truly didn't know I was going to go into it. 
until shortly after when I was thinking about going to New York or California, I saw the show Million Dollar Listing when it first started coming out. And this is something I was pretty excited about because, you know, I looked at the top candidates on there and I'm like, why can't that be me? So for staying in Michigan, I realized I had a ton of connections that I could leverage and I can use my marketing um, skills I learned from college um, for me to hit the ground running. So you sort of were watching Million Dollar Listing one day, realized that what you went to school for would intertwine perfectly with what you were going to do. Now here you are killing the game and really you're on fire in the industry. So congrats for that. So about how long has it been that you've been working in this industry? How many years? Um, So I'm 29. It's been roughly six years. So the rule of thumb in real estate is just surviving that first year or two. Because at the end of the day, you you know, a lot of your listeners are younger. When you're 23, 24, you just got your license. You got to ask yourself, you know, who wants to trust their number one asset to a kid? Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, like it's one thing to sell a car, but to sell a house, that's they're they're using that money towards their next house. There's so much intricacies that come with selling a home that, you know, it really takes some time for to establish credibility where at that age where you got to get someone to trust you with that. So Fortunately, I was able to turn that around quickly, but the turnover rate as far as people entering the space was a huge drop off because this is an all commission basis. Yeah. So question I would have for you to sort of bounce off that idea is, was it hard in the beginning for people to look at you and be like, okay, you're this kid, you're fresh out of college. You know, like you said, why should I trust you? How did you make them trust you? when you were sort of trying to get into this industry and use your connections at your advantage, how did you enable people to say, look, this is why you can trust me? Yeah, so really you gotta depend on your on your main sphere, you know, your family, your family members, your cousins, like those are the people who are most likely to give you that first break, mm-hmm. right? And once you have that first break, you really just use that and leverage it for the next deal. And then you, now you have two sales. Now you can kind of go to someone who might be a stranger to you. Hey, I just sold a couple listings in your area. You know, I'd be a great candidate to sell your home because of X, Y, and Z, whatever reasons you can make that up. Yeah. But um, really it's just connecting with the people that you know first and you kind of creates a ripple effect from there. So, you know, this is year six for me now. Um, I've created a big wave at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. And, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is important because people need to realize that you could be the best at what you're doing, but if you're not utilizing your resources, if you're not utilizing your connections, and if you're not standing out and being different, then it's going to be very hard for you to flourish, to move forward, to become successful. But we'll get into that sort of business related, how you got into it a little bit later. I just wanted to ask those initial few questions. Now, like you said, this show is geared towards younger people, and maybe some of my listeners may have not you know, even started or even thought about that one day they're going to own a home, and maybe some of them have already gone through that process or are in the middle of that process right now. So I really want to break that down for the listeners. Let's talk about someone who is going to sell their home. Why should they not try and sell their home without an agent? You see the signs for sale by owner. Why would you say don't go that route. Hire me, you know, to represent your home in a professional manner. What would you say to that question? Yeah, um, you see a lot of people doing for sale by owner on Zillow, and pretty quickly they end up listing with an agent. I think 
a lot of that. Um, you know, marketing is a key aspect, especially in the luxury end. You know, we do video tours. Um, we create engagement. There's a whole algorithm like online where I'm sourcing buyers from surrounding cities and people who are most likely to move to that area. Um, there's also just outreach where I have a ton of connections through the past six years where I know all the players. I know all the top people who are most likely going to bring a buyer to represent the other side of the deal. And that's just a key factor to really drive traffic to the home. And, you know, marketing is king. And typically a lot of time, a person, I guess really for sale by owner, people think they're saving 6% commission, but really they still have to more than not pay a buyer's agency fee. So you're really only saving 3%. Okay. And of that 3%, you have a lot of, that's still a fee but you still have your own job, your own work, your own time. So you're taking time away from your own space as well to do something that you're not well-versed in. So if you really break it down, it's really a benefit to have someone that has your fiduciary doing your representation um, that's ultimately going to get you a higher price. And now let's go to, to the flip side of that. When someone is looking to buy a home, right? You talked about Zillow. So why... Should someone go to an agent like yourself to say, "Hey, I want to look at I want to look at buying a home. This is my price point. This is where I want to be. Sort of my range. What to, whether it's location, whether it is price point. This is the general idea of where I want to be. Why is it better to have Chase help you within that search rather than doing it on your own? Yeah. So in any house, there's a ton of different variables um, far as where exactly it's located, what the threshold is on the market what it might sell for, are you buying at the right time? So there's just so many variables that go into this that I've already laid out the groundwork where I have the knowledge to educate you right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times, you know, buyers when negotiating, more than not, people get, you know, tend to be very emotional. Um, They have a significant other that wants the house and they're willing to bid whatever to make it happen. When a lot of times... I, like, I hate to like compare it to like texting when you're texting a girl, like you never want to double text mm-hmm. just how when you're talking to a seller, you don't want to reach out twice. You know, it's important yeah. to play your cards right. And those are the little things that I guess I can offer. And, you know, I do a ton of uh, interior design spec development and, you know, just other things I can mention that like I look for that could tell you, hey, this refrigerator isn't flushed like it's probably not the best idea it really depends at which price point you're getting but things you can point out at at different times listen to that everyone he's giving you free game number one he's telling you don't send a double text but then he's also giving you a two-in-one where he's like don't send a double text but also when you walk into a home that you might be interested in buying is that refrigerator flush to the wall? So, so he's giving you really both. So you, you, you never know what you're going to get on the best of the best. So let's get into it where someone really is looking to purchase a house. They, they found the house that they like. They know that they want to move forward with it. And some people might not even know that the asking price of a home is negotiable. So you can actually put an offer in on a house that is maybe a little less than what the asking price is. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I, I, the point is it's the listing price, not the sale price. Mm-hmm. So my job as a buyer's agent is to 
speed up or negotiate, I should say, with the seller or listing agent to get my client the best offer. But sometimes a home is priced right, where it's my job to say, hey, this home's priced right. You can't come in too low or else you're going to lose the property. So an area like Ferndale, where it's very competitive and it's at a lower price point, you know, let's just say 250000 um, they could price it at 239 and I might tell my client to come in at 245 And someone might say, like, why are you representing me but telling me to go over the asking price? Well, I'm going to be like, look at what has sold around 250 260 They underpriced it. So I think we should go here in order to get the home. Yeah. And something I want to bring up is uh, we're talking about these areas in Michigan. Obviously, not every listener is from Michigan. So you might not understand the areas that we're talking about. My brother has just purchased a home um, in northern Michigan, and he's a first-time home buyer. But he really, you know, he didn't know any of these things. So when he went to go put in an offer on the home that he wanted, he actually did exactly like you said. He put above asking price because he didn't want to lose the sale of the home and he knew it was a competitive market and he knew he wanted to do whatever it took because like you said it's about the spouse sometimes he know that his wife liked the house and he put that offer in so chase we've talked about the negotiation aspect of it can you give a breakdown or an example of how you would go about negotiating on behalf of your client yeah sure so you know one good thing about working with a real estate agent is typically they're not as emotional as someone if you're negotiating your behalf because you really want it or your spouse wants it and they don't really know what to do. So let's just say, you know, I'm the listing agent and it's listed for $500,000. The buyer's agent gives me a call and offers $450,000. A normal agent or natural reaction would be like, all right, um, do you think you can get, get them up? And they'll say, uh, 450 is probably our limit. And like, and, and someone will say, all right, I'm going to talk to the seller and see what I can do. What I will do is typically repeat the last word or the last phrase that they said and just pause. So when they offer 450,000, I'll just say 450,000 and kind of leave it as a question. So there's a little uncertainty, like, Hey, I don't think that sounds that great in my yeah, voice. Yeah. And the buyer's agent will typically try to fill in the gap and say, yeah, well, you know, I know they're at 450. I can probably really get them up to 460. Um, you know, they'll just keep talking and talking. And, and the whole point of negotiation is to get as much information as possible from the other party. So by saying the last phrase and pausing and having them fill in the gap is a great way for them to reveal information, which ultimately is going to get you the most favorable deal. Mm, okay. Gotcha. So they, that's great advice. Everyone take that in, whether you are looking to buy or sell your home or maybe you're going to be a real estate agent. Chase just gave you great fucking advice. So thank you for that. So that's important. Now let's get into sort of, you know, the trenches of buying a home. So can you give the listeners a breakdown of what it means when they actually obtain like they go, not obtain, they move forward with the process of purchasing a house. Then one of the next steps would be to get an inspection on the home to make sure that everything in the home is checking out. So can you tell the listeners sort of how an inspection works and why it's important when you go to purchase a home? Yeah, sure. So an inspection is typically, once you have it under contract, it can range from seven to 14 days where you have enough time to say, hey, I want to move forward uh, with the house. And the purpose of the inspection is really not to uncover any 
cosmetic issues because in a day a house can always use updates if it's not new construction but it's really any red flags anything wrong with the roof anything structural any mold um something where even if you put money towards cosmetic work if there's red flags about the house you at least have the opportunity and the protection of the contract to pull back and rescind the offer Okay, yeah. So it's sort of a safety net for the buyer, the potential buyer, because if there's something that is wrong with the house, then they're like, holy shit, I don't want to have to, you know, tear down this wall and redo all the piping because the house was built 60, 70 years ago. You don't want to have to go through all that. So everyone listen up. When you are going to purchase a home, an inspection, in my opinion, and I'm sure Chase would agree, is one of the most important aspects of ensuring that you're moving forward in the right direction with the right deal and that you're not going to have to, you know, whatever the price may be, pull that money out of your pocket and try and fix now whatever you just bought. So let's switch now. We talked about the inspection and now you need an appraisal. And I think if I'm correct, the inspection comes first and the appraisal will come second in the process of buying a home. So what exactly is an appraisal? Yeah, so it's important when you're getting a mortgage. A, an appraiser comes out there, he's a professional that has an unbiased opinion of the home's value. And that just allows the bank to lend the money to you in order for you to secure a mortgage. And is it okay if an appraisal comes back where it says the home is worth either a little more or a little less than what you're going to be paying for the home? Is that okay? Is that typical? How does that work in reality? Let's say, well, we'll use the numbers you talked about. We'll say you're you're trying to buy a home for a million dollars and the appraisal comes back at, we'll call it 1.1. Is that okay? Are you still going to be able to buy the house? So the appraisal came in at 1.1 1 so it came in higher then. higher yes well if it comes in higher then you're then, good then you're good but let's say it comes in at 900,000 right so you yeah. have a pretty shitty appraisal mm -hmm. um typically that could ruffle the waters in the deal i mean let's just say something a little bit more common would say it comes in at 975 and you have it under contract for a million uh there's three options that happen there it's either the buyer brings in $25,000 to close or at closing, mm -hmm. the seller reduces the purchase price from a million dollars to nine seventy five, which the appraisal came in on, mm -hmm. or there's no agreement and there ends up being a mutual release. Okay. So there's really, like you said, there's three options when it comes in a little bit lower than what the price of the home that you guys have a deal already worked out is. Now, I haven't had someone on the show to talk about mortgages. So we don't want to cover that too much because we'll have an expert to talk about it. But what I do want to talk about is a pre-approval letter and how that works when someone is going to be actually purchasing a home. What is a pre-approval letter? Is it helpful? Do you need it? Is it a necessity? Well, break that down for them. Yeah, a pre-approval letter is important for submitting any offer. Um, so you need that uh, by just contacting a lender. They'll run your credit score. You know, typically, if you have a higher credit score, you can get a better interest rate. And part of the pre-approval, the bank or lender gives you a rough estimate of what you make in a year, if you have any assets, liabilities that uh, might be concerned. So they don't do a full breakdown. It's more of a pre-approval, but typically they let you know what you can afford and that's something you submit with the deal. Is it a necessity to have a pre-approval letter when you're going to put in an offer on a home? Yes, it's a necessity. If you do a cash sale, 
you just need a proof of funds. Okay. So it's it's a necessity. Yeah. Now let's talk about we've gone through sort of the and this show is about the basic level of understanding, but we've gone through the basics. Let's talk about closing time. Some people may have never even heard of that term. Some people might not know what it means when you say, oh, I'm going to be closing tomorrow or I'm going to be closing in a few weeks. So what that would mean essentially, and you can correct me if I'm wrong at any of these, is that you've gone through the process of you put in your offer, the offer has got accepted by the seller, you've had an inspection, you've had an appraisal if you're getting a mortgage, and now it's time for you to actually purchase the home, take ownership of the home. So what exactly is a closing? Can you explain that for all of the listeners? Yeah, sure. So closing really is the final step of the real estate transaction. Um, It's typically 45 days after the seller's acceptance. And really what happens on that day is it's the ownership of the property is transferred to the buyer. So that's where the deeds are recorded. That's typically where the buyer takes the keys and can move in that day. Okay, gotcha. And and let's talk about hidden fees or any sort of closing fees. Should a buyer expect, or even a seller, should any of the parties involved in the transaction expect to be paying fees at the time of closing in addition to the purchase price of the home? Yeah, so um, far as the buyer's hidden fees, they're not hidden. I typically you know, advise them of what's going on, but there's the mortgage application fee, there's the home inspection fee, there's the recording fee, appraisal fee, uh, title work. So, you know, that adds up for the buyer. And um, then for the seller, it's typically 8% of the sale price. 6% of that is the commission. Typically you pay the listing agent 3% and the buyer's agent 3%. If the listing agent represents both side, you know, typically he'll shave a point or so to make it favorable for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the transfer fees and the title work for the seller as well. So when someone is going to buy a home, they should expect to have these fees. And you said they're not hidden really, but if someone's not using Chase Rogers, maybe that person isn't being as transparent with them about what they're going to need to pay at the time of closing. So just know and ask questions. It's okay to ask questions to the person that you're working with. And I'm sure that Chase would say he would advise you to ask questions so that you can know about a lot of the time a home is the biggest purchase someone makes in their entire life. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid if you're not educated. But we hope that Best of the Best is a resource that you can listen to this. So when you go and do try and purchase your first home and make that purchase, you know what to expect and what the process is going to look like. So you talked about it a little bit, but let's get into the time frame from when someone puts in an offer on the home, whether the seller counters and says, nope, I'm going to come back with this price or whether they accept it right away. What is the sort of typical time frame from the time the person puts in that offer to the time they can, they can be really living in that house? Yeah. So just to quickly break it down, once the offer is accepted, Um, there's typically a seven to 14 day inspection period, as I mentioned before, and then it takes around 30 to 35 days to secure a mortgage. And then really there's just some other time to review the paperwork, review the closing docs, but all in all with the mortgage, it takes around 45 days with a cash sale. It could take 15 to 21 days. I mean, you can get it closed pretty quickly as long as you turn all your paperwork right away. Okay. Gotcha. Now, 
Before we transition to a sort of different topic, I want to ask you, is there anything that you think I missed that the listeners should know or be aware of, whether they are selling, whether they're buying? Is there anything that you want to just throw in or do you think we pretty much covered all the bases? Um, I think we covered all the basics um, far as making it as an agent is a whole nother story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just to really just recap, it's just important to have someone by your side because, you know, I mentioned probably 10 to 15 different things that someone really wouldn't have any idea about going into it. And a lot of times people can be penny wise and pound foolish by going by themselves and trying to save a couple bucks, but you miss a couple steps, you don't get the right value in the price and you know, you're kind of treading waters from there. Yeah. So now let's go into a discussion about COVID for a second. Obviously, when someone is looking to buy a home, usually they're going to be going in, they're going to be touring that home, they're going to be, you know, sort of wanting to see the inside of that. How has COVID transformed or what has COVID changed in the residential real estate industry? Are you doing more like FaceTime tours? How, how has it impacted you? Yeah, so I have to wear my face mask and put booties on. But, you know, at this point in time, maybe the first like 10 weeks, it was really strict. Where I had to do like virtual tours and whatnot. I mean, things weren't even really like, selling. How, how weird was that? Um, it was beyond weird. I yeah. mean, it's, it's tough buying a pair of shoes online, let alone a house. Yeah. So now the market's really on fire because a home's never been more important. You know, a lot of people are working from their home now instead of going to their you office. Know, to their office. So. Yeah. It's not only a home to someone, it is their office. And um, so, yeah, the market's on fire a lot of, for that reason. Which, right is, which is mind-blowing to me because you would think that what's been going on would sort of cause a decrease in people buying homes and wanting to hold on to cash more. But it really has been a sort of different change we've seen where, like you said, I mean, it's crazy. Houses are going for over asking price specifically in our area that, you know, are below a price point of, you know, so Half I just want million. to chime in real quick. It's not for everything, right? There's yeah. some things that are doing better. That, like, for example, luxury condos are not doing great right now because typically they don't have big outdoor spaces. They definitely don't have yards. If they have a gym or a rooftop, it's a shared amenity. Mm -hmm. So condos are actually dipping right now. The homes that are giving a premium are single family homes that have a yard have some sort of outdoor space, but it is your own. So people are really caring about that privacy right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know. They're caring about the safety of their family, which is why they want that sort of, you know, detachment from the outside world. So let's talk about something. When you take a client into a home for the first time, what are you going to be telling them to look at? Like, are you looking at the roof, the appliances? What is going to be like your biggest advice you have to say, hey, like, let's check this out. Let's see what this is. What would you say to the, your client? Sure. So naturally, everyone today is looking for an open floor plan. Uh, people are looking for a wide open kitchen, something that's just functional, that's breathable, livable. Uh, so I would say that is like the most important. The master bedroom is very important as well. And just, you know, making sure it's the right number of beds, something that you could not only like today, but like in five years, you know, the average person lives in a home for around seven years. So it's important they can grow into it as well. And how important of a role does something like the condition of the windows or the roof or the AC units, the furnaces, if you live in an area where you need the heat, 
how much of a value do those things have when you're talking about the price of a home? Like, it, let's say, for example, you take me to go look at a home, and I know that the roof needs to get replaced, or we can see that the things in the house need to get replaced. Is that going to be like, okay, you might still like it, but know that we're going to have to try and knock this off of the price of the home, and you're going to be talking to, you know, whether it's the listing agent, whoever it may be, about those things that need a facelift or need to be redone. Sure. So that's the beauty of the inspection. You know, a lot of times if you're buying a home from, let's say, like 1985, right, this might be on its second roof and it might be 20 years old, which is, you know, the average time you need to replace a roof. So once you get under contract, uh, let's say for 500000 and the inspector says, hey, the roof is shot, you then have some leverage to say, you know, we want a $20,000 concession or else we're going to walk. Okay. And it really depends on the timing of the listing, how open the seller will be to that. But more than not, they're going to, because all I need to say is, hey, look, you know, we have a strong offer right now and this is under contract. If you put it back on the market, you may not even get the price that we're offering and the same person is going to have the same problem continued. So more than not, the seller, once it's under contract, is open as long as there's a true red flag. Okay, gotcha. And then let's say, let's just put ourselves into a situation that could potentially happen. You're looking at two homes, relatively the same size. One is, you know, a little bit newer. They've replaced the roof. They've done all these things, but the price point is a little bit higher. It's not so much out of that person's range, but it's a little bit higher. And then the other house you're looking at is maybe a little bit cheaper, but it needs a new roof. Uh, it needs a little facelift on the inside. Maybe it needs new wood floors, whatever it may be. It needs some of these things. Would you say that it's fair to tell somebody that, hey, maybe you go a little bit up of what your budget is so that you're not going to be taking this money out of your pocket and spending it on fixing the home up and fixing it to how you like it. Maybe just spend a little more on the actual house instead of actually taking cash out of your pocket and putting that into fixing the home up. Is that something that you would agree with, disagree with? I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And again, it all depends on the person. If someone can float the money mm -hmm. and buy the home that's a little older at a good discount, they can put their own money into the home and they'll actually build equity when they plan to sell in five, seven years from now. Yeah. Compared to someone else who's buying everything turnkey, um, it's great, especially when interest rates are low, where you can borrow money for cheap and get something that's a little bit more expensive or might seem out of your budget. Uh, but you are going to be typically paying top dollar because it is completely done. Yeah. So, you know, there's two ways to spin it. Uh, but both are good options. It really just depends on your particular situation. And I just want to clear something up because we really like to break everything down. I use the word breakdown a lot. When Chase says turnkey, he means that the house is ready to get moved into right away. So the second that you buy the home, you have the keys. The real meaning behind it is that you can put the key in the door and move in and then you're ready to go. There's nothing that needs to be done. I just wanted to clear that up because you never know what someone knows or what someone doesn't know. So now... Lastly, before we switch off of this topic a little bit, let's talk about where someone can go to look at homes. Would you recommend them to go to Zillow, Realtor.com? Um, where would you recommend someone to start looking at homes? You know, whether they have an agent or whether they don't, where would is your best resource that you send people to like, hey, check out this house? Is it Zillow? Is it? You um, know? So I use the MLS. Okay. The MLS is by far the most accurate. 
uh, you know, that's what realtors use. And that's something that I send auto emails or, or I see a listing come right away and I'll send an email when it just hits the market. Okay. So I would say rely on your realtor if you're working with them, but it's always good to educate yourself and just use Zillow during your town time. Uh, the more you know, the more confident you are, you're going to be with your decision. Yeah. Um, and that's really important when you're just starting off because, you know, sometimes the perfect home from you might be the second house you see. And if you don't see the rest of the market, you may not be as quick to pull the trigger and then you missed out on the opportunity. And now you're searching for something that, you know, that already sailed. Yeah. And then you're wishing that you bought that house that you looked at. Yeah. Um, okay. That's great. Now, what about trusting your real estate agent, doing your due diligence? The reason I have you on the show is because I know you, I trust you, and I know that if one of the listeners come to you and they either want to sell their house or they want to buy a house, I know that they're in good hands with you. So what can you say to someone to sort of be aware of, you know, make sure that the real estate agent is staying transparent and doing all these things. And how important is it that someone does their due diligence on the person that they're going to be working with to find them their home? Sure. I mean, it's, it, it's any realtor's fiduciary duty to represent you in the right way. So, you know, a lot of times I would say, you know, meet the realtor. Don't just look online and see that he's done a ton of sales. Um, you know, there's definitely reviews out there, but I would say meeting, doing an interview would, or at least a coffee or something, having that personal experience, because at the end of the day, it's not just a sales tra transaction. You know, typically there's a friendship there's, um, that's involved in all this. I mean, this could take up to six to six to nine months if like you're picky or the right house hasn't come up. So and you're probably going to be communicating with that person every day, yeah. every week, all the time. So you you're 100 percent right. I didn't even think about that, how a friendship does sort of flourish out of it, probably most of the time, because you guys are in constant communication with one another about probably in your viewpoint, it's your client's biggest purchase, and they're probably constantly texting you, pestering you. Which you, I don't know if you mind or don't mind it. I'm sure you don't mind it because you love to have that interaction with your clients. Now, I want to transition to a conversation that is going to give advice for people that wish to either work in the future in the real estate industry or if they're trying to get into it now. What would you recommend? to someone who is really wanting to dive into this industry to get their feet wet, where should they start? What would Chase Rogers say, the best of the best? What would he say, you should start here, you should start there, what would you recommend? So you should find the best brokerage, the most recognizable, reputable one in the area. Especially if you're younger, it's really important to establish credibility. So if you're working for a firm that people know and hear, uh, it will help in a listing presentation, it will help if you're talking at lunch and you say, I work for company X or my company like Max Brook, that's really well known in the area. Vice versa, if you're looking, if you're go to a company that's not known, even if they're giving you a better commission split, if you're getting less deals, it's not even worth it. So that brokerage that you know, you're gonna be working with and working for technically, you are really going to want to make sure that they have the credibility and the recognition because that's going to boost your own credibility and recognition as an agent. Um, so when people see that sign, they associate you with sort of a higher place in the real estate industry. So they know that you're more legitimate. They might look at it that way, whatever it may be. I think that's a great point that you brought up that I never have even thought about in the real estate world. 
So I know that you have created your own brand in the real estate industry. Your name is Chase Rogers, but you've created this brand, Chasing the Deal, where you have sort of a figure of yourself that's like you're running with a briefcase. If you go to his Instagram at Chasing the Deal, you'll see what I'm talking about. But he has really created this brand for himself. But how important would you say it is to someone that's wanting to enter the real estate industry to be a leader, to create the content that you're creating that's unique, that's sort of, you know, expressing the type of person you are so your clients can see that they relate to and be like, holy shit, this guy's doing something different. Like, I'm going to have respect for him. And because I have respect for him, I'm going to try and give him my business, see what he's all about. How important would you say it is that someone really is a leader? Sure. So marketing is everything. And it's really important to put yourself out there in the right light. You know, when you go into a listing presentation and there's eight other realtors, if you get second place, you get no commission. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a doggy dog world in that sense. But far as marketing yourself, um, you know, I've created a pretty cool path, but there's plenty of ways to, you know, skin the cat and make it your own. Um, but yeah, as far as my personal brand, um, I can dive into that if you want. Yeah, yeah. Let's go into it for a little bit. So, you know, when I, I would say just my advice to to the to the listeners is just to throw out as many darts as possible because a lot a lot of times this is really trial and error. As you said, like there's no schooling for this and you can have a marketing major or whatnot, but you don't truly need it. You just the more you put yourself out there, you see what works, the more engagement you get, and you kind of play with it. So, you know, my name's Chase. Um after doing some brainstorming, I wanted something to catch and I thought of chasing the deal. Um, and then I wanted to relate that back to business. So, you know, for a while, for the first six months, I had just chasing the deal. Nothing. There's really no ties to it. No one, you know, people hear it. It doesn't really stick enough. So I wanted to create an image with it. And what I ended up doing was doing a just running in the middle of the street. And I had my friend take a bunch of pictures until we landed a, a perfect still that I had an image for it. So now mm -hmm. I have just an image sitting there, but still... It wasn't enough. Like people weren't engaging then. So, you know, when I was thinking, what are all these big companies doing that, you know, like Apple, like McDonald's or the Jordan logo, anything like that, right? A lot of it is a logo with simplicity. And I see with, with realtors, people just use their face. And a face is great the more you put yourself out there, but a face changes. And every five years or 10 years, you have to update your picture. But something like a logo sticks forever if it's done right. Yeah. So, which I think yours is. You have a great logo, by the way. Right. So, what I did was basically create the business, like just how Jordan is for sports, like the Jumpman. I created the business logo for realtors and whatnot. So, now that I have the logo, the name, I put it together, add some fun semantics to it. I put on hats now. Yeah. I, I put on a, a ton of different merch, even face masks these days with COVID. Um, these are ways where people are seeing my hats around town and it's just subliminal advertising and it's something that people get behind any local business. Yeah, something a lot that I like that you did is I saw actually before we came to this interview, I was driving and I saw one of the homes that is your listing and you have above like the for sale sign, you have that logo on top of there. So Listen to that, everyone. What he's doing is basically creating an image for himself that, like he said, may not be his face, but it's something that everyone recognizes is Chase Rogers, is chasing the deal. Now, I have a few 
more questions here before we're at the end. But how important is it to be truthful and transparent to your clients? How important is that? And would you say that is to someone that's, you know, a new real estate agent? How important is that transparency? It's probably the most important traits um, a realtor can have. Um, it might be something that might be to the realtor's benefit in the first six months. They want to make a quick sale. But truly, this business is all referrals, all word of mouth, and um, or even having repeat customers. And you know, people don't buy once; they buy three to four. They buy for a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you do good by them, you're transparent, and you give them, you know, your true feeling. Sometimes you can't change the market if it dips. Yeah. Uh, but if you give the right advice and do the right thing, and that's your fiduciary duty, uh, that's what's going to propel you as a genuine good agent that people like to work with. So that honesty, that transparency, that's very important as you can hear. And I and I think it's not just the real estate industry, it's any industry. Uh, we're sitting here in my family's office building and we're in the tax industry and we always are transparent and truthful and honest and that's just how you have to be. No different than when we were talking about the podcast. You're like, what is it going to be like? And I was transparent and honest with you. That's one of the biggest things in any business related transaction, conversation, discussion that you need to be that truthful, transparent person. So when someone says, like you said, how is working with that person like or what was it like? They give their honest answer. Now, I just have to ask, Chase. Is your job really like the TV shows, million dollar listings? Is it is it really like that where, you know, it's sort of that like headache, drama mixed in with the, you know, ups and downs of emotions with people calling or backing out last minute? Is it really like that? It's not as much glamour as you might see on TV, but I will say like you are in for a huge roller coaster, you mm-hmm. know. The beauty about what I do is I can show one home for two million dollars and potentially make a sixty thousand dollar commission. Or I could work with someone for over 90 hours and they say, oh, you know what? I want to rent. So it goes both ways um, far as that goes. Uh, But, you know, there's it's exciting. I mean, I I like being outside the office. I like being in stressful. It can be stressful, but I have thick skin at this point. And it, it seems like you work better under stress because of your type of job. So you're really, you're really into. You don't, you don't mind the emotional roller coaster that it takes you on because in the end you enjoy what you do. Is that right? Yeah, I'm built different. Yeah. Um, so how can someone contact you if they want to? You can contact me by Instagram at chasing the deal. My direct line is two four eight four six four one four two two. Uh, it's very important to take a call 24-7 and, you know, I'd, I'd love to work with anyone or, or a potential referral if you think uh, I'd be the right person for you. So listen to that, everyone. Chasing the deal on Instagram, he gave you his phone number. So if you ever are looking to buy a home, I think you also work in California a little bit too. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm going to be heading back out there in the fall. Um, I do have a partner in uh, both cities, but um, yeah, I'm in Hollywood Hills over there. Okay. Gotcha. So he's in Michigan. He's in Hollywood Hills in California. And the last question that I ask every guest, Chase, is even though you're in your late 20s, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? Yeah. Just based on how you touch that I'm also moving to LA. Um, you know, LA is something that I've always aspired to me. I didn't necessarily have the confidence to do so at 23, going into a foreign area and working on a no commission 
you know, an all commission job. So I would just say take risks, put yourself out there. That's something that I'm really starting to do now, even with this podcast. It's not the most comfortable thing going on live to a bunch of different people. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, the more comfortable you get with uncomfortable situations, it less- builds your character. Yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. All right, well, Chase, I want to thank you for taking the time out and coming on the show. This has been one of those topics that people really need to educate themselves about. So when the time comes and they want to buy a house, they're not in the dark. This episode was, it was amazing. It was fire. And there's lots of information here that you and I discussed in a matter of 45 minutes or so. That's not taught in, you know, 12 or however many years of school that someone is going to be going to more than that. It's like, well, let's call it 12, uh, between high school and college around that time, like 12 can be a little more, a little less than 12 years. It just all depends. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate you uh, being yourself and coming on and talking with me. So is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Yeah, I'm just super appreciative for you to bring me on, and I think this is a great show that I wish I could have listened to if I was coming out of college. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, there you have it, everyone. Chase Rogers. We'll call him Chasing the Deal. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Make sure you're spreading the word, telling friends and family. And if there are any topics that you want me to talk about or any guests that you would like to hear on the show, make sure you're leaving a five-star review of the podcast with what you would want to hear so I can make sure that I'm filling that gap that I may be missing out on or that school's missing out on. I want to be there for any and every situation, any and every topic. But this has been it for today, everyone. I hope you have a great rest of the week, a great weekend, and I'll talk to everyone next Wednesday on the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. 